Welcome once again to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and this week we're talking with another ambitious bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped startup founder in this case. It's Craig Hewitt. He's back on the show. You'll remember him from season one of Tiny Seed Tales, and he also hosts a couple of his own podcasts as well as being the founder of Castos. Today we talk about private podcasting. We dig into Apple's announcement around their subscription podcast offering, I'll call it, because I it's not private podcasting. It, it kind of is, but it's not, not really. And you'll hear us dig into the differences in this episode, as well as the accelerating growth of Castos. And we dig into that in the last five, six minutes. And it's really interesting to hear Craig talk about why that's happening. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Craig Hewitt. Craig Hewitt, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you, man. I, uh, I get positive feedback about our episodes. Folks will remember you, of course, from Tiny Sea Tales Season 1, where we walked through your journey back in, I'm trying to even think now, it was a bulk of 2019, I think, right? And a little bit of 2020, mm-hmm. Tiny Sea Batch 1, you know, you run Castos, which is podcast hosting, podcast production, and now private podcast hosting. That's it. Yep. And I'm, I'm really interested to dig in today to start off with into this private podcasting stuff. Because for years, you know, you started a productized service that was podcast editing and production. Then you started a podcast hosting company called Castos. And you did that, you know, you piggybacked on the back of a WordPress plugin you owned. And within the last six months, nine months, You've leaned in heavily. Castos has leaned in heavily to this idea of private podcasting, so much so that the H1 on your homepage now says public podcasts to grow your audience and private podcasts for exclusive content. I mean, that is literally at the top of the page. So that is a, I would call that a positioning shift from what you've traditionally been. So walk me through maybe this this thought process and how this has evolved to the point where maybe nine months ago, private podcasting was, I'm sure, I know it was in the back of your mind because we had little conversations about it and maybe there was some code being written or something, but to today where it's like, my product is doubling down on, on both of these things and really leaning in to private podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think just for kind of definition purposes, so, you know, public conventional podcast like this one, you want everyone to listen. You want as much kind of exposure. It's a marketing tool to, to grow your brand and get people into, you know, email lists and to buy things and, and whatever for your brand. Private podcasting is like a membership site for your podcast, right? And so the applications for it are, you know, with, with kind of the maker crowd are online courses and membership sites and communities that want to offer podcast content only to their students or members or community members. And for companies that want to offer podcasts as a kind of internal communications tool to their employees. So think about like new employee onboarding or message from the C-suite or sales enablement material for field sales folks, really kind of using the concept of podcasting to drive information throughout the company. So, you know, you have internal memos and emails and webinars and we're all tired of all of those, right? And so a lot of companies are coming to us and saying, hey, we want to connect with our team members, but we don't want them to be stuck at the computer anymore. We want them to be able to consume this asynchronous mobile first audio only. And yeah, just seeing a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of new ways that people are using this as a, a communications tool, whether they're a company or they're a brand doing this with their kind of online worlds. 
Got it. So companies and folks with audiences. So then there's, there's with those two use cases in mind, if I was the CEO of a hundred or a thousand person company, I would offer that private podcast for free because I'm obviously not going to charge my employees. It's really a communication mechanism versus if I were, let's say we started a private microconf podcast or startups, the rest of us started a you know, a private podcast, we'd more likely charge for that. It would be premium content that we essentially would probably charge a monthly subscription for. Is that is that the idea? Yeah. And as it stands today in Castos, you can integrate either via like a native integration with a tool like MemberSpace that we're directly integrated with. So you have MemberSpace that controls the membership kind of platform and the privileges and charges of everything of your membership site that then adds those people automatically to a private podcast that you host in Castos or via Zapier, right? So then Zapier opens up to to kind of everything and everybody, all sorts of membership tools, all sorts of LMS and course platforms and everything. So where you can gate the access and the people there and make money and then kind of bolt on, we say, you know, Castos to to expand the, the way you reach out to those folks in podcast format. Yep, and then kind of the next step for us logically is doing all of that natively within the platform, allow our customers to charge directly for content right in our application. And so that's something that we're actively working on now. And how did this come about? Was this something customers were requesting or was it something you and your team came up with or a third option I'm not thinking of? Yeah, I mean, I think that the analogies to to this right in the like membership and course world have have always been there and have always been something that, that I and a lot of other people see. And, and it's just taken a bit of time, I mean, you know, we're mostly bootstrapped, right? And so it just has taken a bit of time to get like the core product to where we want it to be, to where we can kind of expand our focus to build this. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's always been in the back of my mind that like, because the problem that this solves is that the way that people can make money directly from podcasting without having like, you know, if you think of startups for the rest of us as like a brand, you have microconf really that like this podcast serves as marketing channel and lead gen for for now both tiny seed right and microconf so i think you're very happy to to not make money directly from this podcast but there's a lot of people out there that say like i just want to be a podcaster you know i don't want to do a a fund or i don't want to have a conference or i don't want to have to like sell a course or whatever i just want to make really awesome podcast content and make money from it and so to date the only kind of native podcast only way to do that has been ads and it's just a garbage like monetization method for a lot of people is having, you know, audible or mattresses.com or whatever as a, a person that's sponsoring your show. And so like, why not let people make money directly from their content? And, and that's what we're going for. Got it. And is this a way, you know, when I think of podcast hosting, I think of it as, as kind of a commodity business, you know? I mean, any type of hosting becomes a commodity. Remember like in 1999, like web hosting, ooh, there were all these web hosting startups and then it just consolidated. I remember when WP Engine started in 2011-ish, 2012, it was also, like, oh, now this WordPress focused hosting, you know, app-based hosting, where it's really optimized for that. And then even that now, there's just a lot of low-cost WordPress hosting. And I think podcast hosting, in my mind, is traveling the same cycle where it over time becomes more of a commodity as more people get into it. For you as a founder launching private podcasting, is this a way to stay ahead of that curve and to innovate yourself into not being a, a commodity player? Yeah, and that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, and it allows us to to kind of shift where we stand with our customers from being, you know, we say a liability, right, on their kind of mental balance sheet to an asset, right? 
if we are allowing our customers to make money every month, they're very happy to stay with us for as long as they can. And, you know, we we hope to kind of participate in the upside of that in terms of things like revenue sharing or, or being able to charge a little bit more than we can then we can kind of charge for. Yeah, I agree. What is like a commoditized kind of piece of software, which is which is hosting, which is you know cheap and relatively easy to build, but a way for us to enable our customers to make money or or expand the other way that they make money online and make that more valuable is is really valuable in their eyes. So that's what we're betting on. What's interesting is let's let's imagine an alternate history or an alternate present. We're in we're in Marvel Cinematic Universe here, where we forked timelines. Podcasting doesn't exist. That term doesn't exist. If you were to still come up with the idea of sending audio files to a team privately, we didn't call them private podcasts, we called them, it would almost be like private asynchronous audio communication. It's like private audio broadcast. Isn't that, isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> we just, we, <laughs> oh man, uh, naming, naming is the best. But this is, it's almost, while, while they're both asynchronous audio, it's really a different animal in my mind. Like I know the mechanism is the same because it's an RSS feed with audio being downloaded, but the purpose, I guess I'm getting like jobs to be done is maybe a better way to think about it. When I think of the job to be done of startups for the rest of us, it is mass consumption. You know, it's as many people as can get value from this, spread the word, bootstrapping and mostly bootstrapping is a viable strategy versus venture capital. Private podcasting, as soon as I put a wall around it, whether I charge for it or not, it becomes this very almost intimate, exclusive, whether it, you know, it's premium if you're paying for it or it's intimate communication if, it's, if you're not, you know, if I'm just sending it to my company. I, I guess I'm imagining there are people out there who never want to record a podcast. They don't want to be a podcaster. They don't want to be a, you know, it's like being a radio personality or something. It's like, I have no aspiration to do that. But they're the CEO of a 150-person company and them jumping on the mic to talk to their team, I bet is much, much more appealing because they don't, they don't have to perform. They can say, hey, this is the state of our company this week. So-and-so, we have new employee in this department. This person got promoted. Three more new hires coming through. This is our MRR, whatever. I can just imagine giving you know either weekly or monthly updates. It's a completely different approach than what you and I think of as podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, and even like Matt, Matt Medeiros on our team, talks about that it's so much easier to create an episode for our private podcast that we have with our our, our audience, right? Our, our kind of most most engaged like fans. Uh, we have a private podcast that we share with them. And he says, I love making those episodes because I know it's going out to, you know, a few hundred people and not the thousands of, of people that our, our audience podcast goes out to. And we absolutely see that, whether it's for a company internally, and they say the same things, the, the CEO is comfortable hopping on the mic because it's only going internally. It's not going, you know, to the SEC, right? Or, or something to where they have to worry about all of the things you have to worry about with your material being out there for everyone in the world to, to consume and criticize. But even, you know, we're having a lot of people come in and say, I want to have a podcast for the parents of my local soccer club or something, right? And it's like, all you're wanting to do is is just control who has access to that content. Because when you you record this podcast, anyone in the world can listen. But if you know that only 20 people are going to listen to this podcast, your approach to it, I think, changes a lot when it comes to, to creating the content. And 
the biggest hurdle for any new podcaster to get over is like, what the heck is an RSS feed? How do I, quote, upload my podcast to Apple, which is not what happens. But like all of the distribution stuff is even today, like a nightmare, right? For people to understand what if like you just create a podcast and then put someone e someone's email address in and they get it. Like that's so much easier. So we're seeing a lot of people come in and say like, I don't care how many people listen. I'm going to invite the people I want to listen to this private podcast and they get it. And it's just not hard, right? It's it's really, really streamlined. So yeah, we're seeing it used in a lot of different ways, which is super exciting. I think we're, we're at the very leading edge of, of how people will utilize this as a communication tool. Yeah, that's what I like about what you're saying is it, it's what I was trying to communicate but did poorly a couple minutes ago <laughs> when I was talking about the asynchronous uh, intimate audio or whatever. But it's this is a... Comp completely different thing than a podcast. We're going to call it a podcast because that's what we're familiar with. But I think this is an entirely new and very massive market for, I can imagine communicating to my extended family. Like we have like a, there's like a Facebook group with like 20 of us, right? It's all the cousins and aunts and uncles and we post periodically and this and that, but that could be interesting. I can imagine communicating with my team. I can imagine communicating with tiny seed founders. What if like some of these Slack groups were just replaced by people podcasting, right? You and I are part of a kind of a small, I don't know, exclusive, you know, group of founders who have this, this private podcast already. And while there is Slack conversation going on as well, I think the bulk of the information is conveyed via podcast because for me, it's more time efficient, right? Because I can do the dishes, I can be taking the trash out or whatever and, and listen to it at 1.5x versus sit there and trying to type on my phone or whatever. That does raise a question that I have about it. Is this private podcasting feature, is it broadcast only? Where if I set it up, you know, maybe me and and my co-founder or my CEO, COO, you know, can get that out to everyone? Or can you set it up such that anyone can participate and post audio into it? So it's almost like a group audio experience. So, so today it is, you know, you as the account holder are the only ones who can publish new content to it. And that's in that respect, it is more like a traditional podcast where this is your podcast. You record the content and push it out and everybody else listens. I do think there, there very well could be a day where it is more like a community where everyone can contribute podcast content to the, to the feed or whatever you use. And then it goes out to everybody. To be honest, that's, that's kind of a question that we have is what's the best way to handle that? Yeah. That'll be a product decision at some point because I'm sure some folks will ask for it. Because when I think about it, again, to come back to the example of Tiny Seed and whether we'd probably do it maybe within a batch. Like today, Anar, Tracy, and I could set up a private podcast and we could broadcast, right? Hey, batch three that's starting next week. Here's new info. Here's an update this week. Here's a this and that. Longer term, it could be really interesting for each company to give updates, but then they would need the ability to basically upload audio somewhere, right? Have the permission to have it distributed to everyone. And, you know, I don't know, there, there's been, we've had, obviously had some conversations about it. And I know so, it, it's funny, the lines drawn, it's like, I listen to a bunch of podcasts. So I'm like, yeah, I would do that. Anyone who just doesn't listen to podcasts is like, that's a terrible idea. We already have Slack. It's always that the lines are just drawn, you know, it's like, yeah, they're like podcasts or you don't. And of course, um, for me, I can't get enough of them. And wrapping up this idea of, of private podcasts, I've heard you talk on 
uh, Seeking Scale, which is your new-ish podcast with Andy Baldacci. You guys started it, I'd say, four or five months ago. Um, if folks haven't heard that, I highly recommend it. Your later stage SaaS founders, as so many of the two people talking about their bootstrap, mostly bootstrap startup, are early stage. And that's cool. But you're one of the very few podcasts where, you know, I'll say millions of dollars in ARR are, are being thrown around. And so the two of you are just more advanced and you're thinking about not later stage, but you think about mid-stage stuff. It's like, what do we, you know, the team is now eight or 10. It's not, how do I get my first 10 customers, right? So anyway, Seeking Scales, a podcast folks should check out. But you have mentioned, the reason I bring it up is you mentioned on there that you are actually building mobile apps as well for the private podcast side, because, you know, folks haven't seen this. It's like once you upload an MP3, whether it's a private or a public podcast, that MP3 is there. And if someone downloads it to their phone, even if you were to say terminate that employee, they still have those MP3s. And so they still have essentially what could be proprietary information. But if you have a mobile app where that's the only place they can listen through it, you can control their ongoing access. They, they can never get the raw MP3 out. Is Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we're developing the mobile apps, and they will be for iOS and Android, so we're using React Native for it. But, you know, first and foremost is security, because it is the first and second and third question that we get from our corporate clients is, how is this controlled, and who has access, and can they download the file, and all this. And so we made a very conscious decision in the first iteration of this that, it will be streaming only. There will be no file downloaded to the phone, so it can never be taken with an employee afterwards. There is no visibility to the RSS feed at all, so they can't copy it and share it with someone else. All of that is kind of vertically integrated from our system into these mobile apps. The other reason we did it, and actually the reason we started it, is you talked about like this line in the sand of people that are podcast fans and people that are not. There are a lot of people that get added to a private podcast and they receive from us like a, a special unique RSS feed just for them. And they copy this and they go put it in Overcast or Apple Podcast or whatever. And someone that's not a podcast listener, and even people that are, have no idea how to do that. And so we said, well, what if we just have an app? The call to action is download this app, put in your email address, you get like a magic link, authenticate into that, and you automatically get all your stuff, right? Like to a lot of people, that is an easier ask for a brand or a company to say, hey, download the Castos app, put in your email address, and voila, you'll get all of your stuff right away. Like from a technical perspective, it's just so much easier than to understand an RSS feed. And, you know, don't click on that because, you know, it won't open in mobile Safari because, you know, it's just a mess. And like, if you do open it, it looks like a jumbled mess of code. So like download the app and you'll get all your content once you log in. And then like the obvious next step for us is like, hey, instead of just one-way communication, what about like quizzes and surveys and announcements and other things we can allow our customers to do to interact with their audience members in the app? Because the, the downside of podcasting to a large extent is it is a one-way street, right? You publish this, it goes out, you have no idea what happens, right? After, after it goes out, you have no way to get feedback directly in the place where people are listening. And so us having our own app only for private podcasting is going to allow us to enable our customers to communicate and get feedback and dialogue with their listeners much more, not to mention a lot more analytics. You know, we control the playback mechanism. Yeah, it sounds like it's security. It's certainly ease of use, usability, 
analytics. There's a lot of things I think that are going to go go into that, you know, to make it a better experience. You know, mobile has always felt like, since I'm a web person, I'm web first, and I think SaaS and building apps and this and that. But when I think of building a mobile app, I think, oh boy, now we have another code base to maintain. It's a different skill set. All this stuff has that been difficult for you and your team to tackle. Yeah, so it's been wonderful. So Victor from Trust Shoring, so you know he's been to a lot of microconfs. is is a friend. He runs kind of a, a an agency that connects companies like ours with specific like dev shops, mostly in Eastern Europe. Connected us with the folks who are developing our mobile app, and they're amazing. They're a React Native shop. That's all they do. And so we were able to pretty easily say like, okay, this is what we want. This is what we have from our end. This is the APIs that we need to build. You guys need to go build all the front end stuff in the player. And they're amazing. That's cool. I'm glad it hasn't been the struggle that I had made it, made it out to be in my head, you know? In hindsight, the thing we did right is we didn't try to peel off one of our developers that is a PHP developer to go learn React Native. Is We just said, hey, let's go spend the 20 grand that this will cost and hire the specialists. Yep, yep. Not your core competency, right? That's yep. the idea. So I'm glad that you're coming on this week. It's a bit fortuitous. Apple made their big announcement about, it seems like like Apple effectively, I know they didn't invent podcasting because it was an open standard stuff, but they effectively popularized it, right? Mm-hmm. 15 years ago now or whenever it was. And and then they just let it languish. And then they're like, oh, two, three years ago. Oh, oh yeah, we're going to give analytics finally. And I don't think those are that great when I log in, but it's like they do fits and starts. And frankly, Apple, I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but it's like, I mean, like the only reason Apple cares about this at all is because because the space is heated up because Spotify is now dropping 200 million to acquire Joe Rogan's podcast. You know, it's like and Apple's like, "Uh-oh, we really dropped the ball on this." And so now they're launching paid subscriptions on Apple Podcasts, which is something that in my opinion should have launched a decade ago. Like I don't know why this is a log- very logical next step, but it's like it's almost like they they pulled a um who is it? It was Internet Explorer, right? Who just won the whole market and then just stopped. They took everybody off the, the IE browser and just let it languish. I mean, that's what pod, you know Apple Podcast feels like to me. So they announced, okay, if you're a creator, you pay 20 bucks a year, you're part of the creator program, there's no ability for you to see who has subscribed to your premium content you know, or to contact those subscribers, except, of course, through the podcast. You can price subscriptions based on subscriber location. I believe they're all monthly subscriptions. There is no RSS feed. There is no connection to your other podcast. Apple takes a 30% cut of revenue the first year and 15% in subsequent years, which I think is interesting. And the content has to be manually uploaded to Apple's platform on an individual episode basis. So like my editor or Castos Productions, your team would upload into your WordPress or, or your Castos account, and then they have to go and upload it into Apple. And I'm actually reading this all from the castos.com blog. It was a post from April 21st. It says, welcome Apple to the private podcasting movement. And you have thoughts, what this means for you. Do you want a standalone tool, blah, blah, blah. Walk us through how you think about this as someone who has been knee deep in podcasting, running a podcast production and hosting company for the past several years. Like you're as, you're as close to the metal on this as anyone I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that we always try to be really honest, right? Rob, going back to tiny details, I, I think part of me, you know, I'm kicking myself a little bit because you and I have had conversations about this concept for years. And like, while I am a bootstrapper at heart and have enjoyed being a bootstrapper, seeing this, I kind of say, well, shit, what if we'd raised like $5 million three years ago and built this? We could be the 
the standout leader in this space. And we didn't, and we're not. Like, I think we're at the very kind of edge of this with, with what we're doing. Apple offering it natively in their platform is really different than what we do. But I think as I look back over my thoughts around this in the past, you know, I've been in podcasting six and a half years, like I could have done this earlier. And so like, I don't have regrets, but but definitely like that that is something I take away is like, the next time I have a hunch like this, I probably will just jump on it because I don't want to look back and say, oh man, I could have, could have, should have, would have. You know, that being said, like, this is not for everybody, right? Like, this is for the creator who, one, the majority of their audience is based in North America, I would say, right? Because, like, Apple Podcasts is the most popular listening platform in North America by far, but with the younger generation and outside the U.S., it's Spotify, right? So, like, it's not that, like, this being available in Apple Podcasts is going to reach even half of your audience these days, depending on kind of who your audience is. I think that for certain people, this is really great because, yeah, I mean, they'll take 30% just like the App Store does, I think, and then 15% in subsequent years. But kind of like selling on Amazon versus having a Shopify store, right? You have no concept of who your customers are. You can't follow up with them afterwards. You can't do nurture sequences and upsells and coupons and all that kind of stuff afterwards. So, so I think for the person that, you know, we use the term like you want the easy button to make some money from your podcast, this is like a good first step maybe. If you have a more kind of sophisticated brand and funnel and upsells and cross-sells and things that you kind of want to do with your podcast and folks that listen to your podcast afterwards, then then I think this is not the thing to do because it is just like a siloed thing. And Spotify certainly will come out with their own version of this at some point, and it will be the same, right? It will be, this is in its own walled garden. It doesn't talk to anything else. It certainly wouldn't integrate with your membership platform. So, I mean, that that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, if all you want to do is make a few bucks off your podcast, this is a fair thing. If you have different goals or aspirations or, or plans with, with your brand and your content, then this is not the tool for you. Yeah, the deal breaker for me is that you don't know who your subscribers are. Like that right there as a whatever, a serial entrepreneur who has run many businesses, like the long-term value is in those relationships and it's in having access to be able to contact people. I mean, the, the old internet marketing expression was the money's in the list, right? It's like having a large email list or having a large, you know, back in the day, it was, it was addresses to do physical mailings, you know, before the internet. And while I don't think of it as like the money's in it, I think of the long-term relationship and the long-term value is really knowing who your customers are. And that's why I think selling my book directly versus selling on Amazon, I've always really struggled with this decision because I want Amazon to fulfill it, but I also really want to know who's buying my book. And it's been the same thing. I kind of think of it a little bit, this is not a perfect analogy, but I think of it like the difference between Vimeo and Wistia. They both host videos and they're both private in terms of they're not like massive YouTube you know, distribution. I guess they're all kind of private in, in one way or another, but like Vimeo is $100 a year or something, $100, $200. And Wistia is $100 or $200 a month. Like it's way more expensive. But Vimeo is for like, like filmmakers go on there, you know, and it's for experience. It's like, I'm a maker, I want the easy button and I want to get stuff out there and it's inexpensive. And Wistia is for like, I guess, I don't want to, more sophisticated or just more business oriented or more people who are thinking about the business, not just about the act of creation. And and maybe there's a, there's a parallel there. I mean, did it feel like a punch in the gut when this announcement came out or was it pretty quickly like, eh, our use cases is, you know, that we're supporting at Castos is so different from this anyway that I, you know, I don't know that it's going to be a major impact. Yeah, mostly the latter, 
you know, mostly that currently and, and even in the future with our product plans around like premium podcasting, you know, being able to charge for your content directly in the platform. We, we serve a different type of customer to a large extent than folks that would really want to jump on this bandwagon with Apple. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely kind of like how we feel this is different than what we do. But the really good thing is that this legitimizes a lot of what I've been saying for a while of like, hey, ads are not the only way to make money from your podcast, right? Like this concept of private podcasting or premium, you know, paid access to private podcast is a thing. And then the biggest player in the space just made it a thing. And so, yeah, we can go around and talk about private podcasting now and everyone's going to know what we're talking about, you know, between that and this episode, <laughs> like everyone's going to know what we're talking about. And so I think that's a huge win for the industry. Yeah, big time. I was waiting for Spotify to come out with this, I'm going to be honest. And I don't know, maybe they will. So I guess you've, you've hinted, you're like, you think they're going to come out with it as well. But I, I just thought they would beat Apple to the punch. Apple really has not innovated in the podcast space for so many years that I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, they've talked about it, but it's not available as of today. Yeah. Right. So as we move towards wrapping up, I'm looking at your MRR graph. So most people listening know that you're <laughs> you're uh, in Tiny C Batch One, and of course, you know we have graphs of uh, of all the revenue of the companies. Last three months, bravo, man! It's like it's like a rocket ship. Like very strong three months of growth in terms of of just raw MRR, and there's kind of a nice little kick upward and to the right. You already had solid growth going and then it's it's accelerated. What's happening there? Like there's a lot of listeners who <laughs> obviously want to know how can I grow faster? And I'm curious what learnings you've taken away that, you know, I think have, have helped you achieve this growth. Yeah. I mean, so I think it's, it's tough to know exactly, right? Just because there's so many moving parts to a business, even our size, you know, we're 12 people. But the one thing that I can pretty solidly point to is we have been focusing from a product perspective over the last, this year, right? So the last four months on, I hate to say quality, but like fine tuning aspects of the platform, revising onboarding, UX fixes, updates to things, and are spending like half of our development time on that these days. And it's really all that's changed. And so I have to attribute this to to that shift. And, and like it is... Anyone who knows me well is like, it's not me, right? I'm just not like a super detailed person. I'm definitely not a designer. Like we work with an absolutely fantastic designer who has helped us a lot with all this. But I think the lesson I would take away is like my inclination is always build more features. You know, like we have a lot more features in our platform than a lot of other hosts. And it's because I've just been beating this drum of like, we need transcriptions, we need YouTube republishing, we need integration with Headliner, we need you know video support, we need multiple users, we need the WordPress integration. So like we have a really complex platform compared to even a lot of the like market leaders, I think, for as, as old as the company is. And so we've been driving hard new feature creation for a long time. And we kind of said, hey, we need to like, not take a step back, but like, focus some of our efforts on really perfecting certain aspects of, of the product. And, and that's all that's really changed. And so I have to attribute like the growth and it's like, we've increased growth by like 50% versus the other months, you know, we're going about, about 50% faster in the last few months. Yeah. That is an easy trap to fall into of more features, more features, because it feels like the features are the headline, right? The features are what you can write a blog post about. You can't write a blog post about, oh, we improved the usability of this screen. We improved our onboarding. No one cares. And yet they move the needle perhaps more than the splash. I mean, that's the thing. When you think about a marketing or sales funnel for a SaaS app, 
there are the number of visitors coming to your website, then there's how many start a trial or request a demo, then there's how many go from there to paid, then there's churn, how many stick around. There's the sure volume of them coming in, and then there's also the percentage drop-off at each space. And so many of us just want more in the top of the funnel. But in this case, you're basically saying, you know, when you say you, you're focused on improving, I mean, is it a lot of usability and user experience improvements? Yeah, yeah. And just like what I would consider like edge case bugs, just, you know, they don't exist anymore. Right. You know, obviously with Drip and my experience, I mean, when Derek and I were running product there, it was always a balance. And I think to be honest, Derek and I are pretty picky and have a very, we're a little pretentious about the products we use. I'll just say that, you know, it's like when I use a product that's like kind of half ass. I get pissed off and I'm like, these people don't know what they're doing. You know, I'm like the wine expert who's drinking Merlot, right? Or the, the coffee expert, you know, who says, oh, Starbucks is so bad. Like I'm that way with, with usability of apps. And so I think if anything, Derek and I tended to veer in that direction where we would, you can be too perfectionist about it and you can make every little piece work so amazingly well that then you're not moving fast enough on other fronts, perhaps, you know, or you're, or you're not doing enough marketing or you're not doing enough, sales, or whatever else. You neglect other areas of the business. And that's where I think it is this balance. And whether you think of it as a pendulum swinging back and forth of like, we, one sprint, if you do sprints, you know, we're building features and the next one, we're fixing bugs and improving usability, or whether you're doing both of those at the same time, it would just be so easy as founders if you could just focus on one thing. Don't you just want to focus on one thing and have that be the only thing? And yet there's 10 things and they all kind of need to be focused on at the right time or maybe all at once. And you kind of don't know which. It's incomplete information, right? It's like, which one do we do next? Which one moves the needle the most? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think two kind of like additional data points there. One is the, from a metrics perspective, the thing that has improved is churn. We've always had very good churn, but we're having kind of close to 0% churn uh, in the last two months, which is makes growth really easy because we're having customers upgrading now, which is kind of going back to private podcasting. You know, we have kind of expansion revenue built into the product now. We're getting close to like 0% churn, which is amazing. Like we were at kind of like 2% before. But the other thing from like a team perspective is for about the last six months, we've gone in this practice of having one of our developers be on what we call support rotation each week. And so that developer is the only contact that our support team can have when they need to escalate a ticket. And so that developer spends about a third of their time chatting with customers and, and you know advanced troubleshooting things and the rest of their time fixing bugs for that week. And so that's really how this focus on, on, on you know, squashing bugs and product and quality and stuff came about. But I think, it, I think it's both like product and squishing those bugs and getting those things resolved, you know, within that week, but also just having everybody be more clear on on kind of what customers are saying and and taking care of them better. So from a process perspective, that's it's been a really cool thing to see happen. Yeah, that's really nice. That's that's the way that we structured it at Drip too. Is we had although we didn't rotate. Are you rotating through your engineers? Yep. So they take a turn. Okay. So we had a dedicated. Usually it was a junior software developer, junior engineer that we would hire and we'd say, you are the technical support escalation. And, you know, so when Andy, our support guy, he would dig in as much as he could, but if truly he was like, it's a bug or I just can't, you know, it's code, someone needs to look into it, then they'd escalate to the junior. The cool part about that junior is they would 
dig into the bowels of the app, of every part of it. And so they learned it really, really well. And they learned all these little esoteric areas because they'd have to dig into API one day. And then the next hour, they're over in the part that sends emails or schedules them. And the next part, it's just a completely dealing with, with SendGrid or whatever. So they became really well-versed in the app. And so by the time they start burning out on that role, which is about 12 months, they're a pretty solid developer in terms of being able to get into Drip and, and, and build it into the code base and such. So we'd hire and, and rotate a new one in. But the other approach that I've seen is exactly what you're talking about, where each engineer takes a stint, whether it's a week or you know a few days. Usually it's a week and you just rotate through it. And they have to be, that's the week you're getting interrupted a lot, right? Because you have to respond, you have to write code and respond to these tickets. Yeah, and I think it's a, a nice you know break in the cadence too. They work hard on features, for, you know, we're five developers, so four out of five weeks, and they get a week of, you know, different work. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Well, sir, it's always a pleasure having you on. Yeah, likewise, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Folks want to catch up with you. You know, normally I say Twitter handles, but, you know, you don't you don't really hang out on Twitter. I mean, you're the Craig Hewitt, if folks want to ping you. Thank you for coming on the show. But really, Seeking Scale, I think, would be where they can hear from me every week. And then Rogue Startups, you record with Dave Rodenbaugh a couple times a month, it seems like. Yep. Either of those are great places. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Rob. Thanks again for joining me this week. If we're not connected on Twitter, please reach out at Rob Walling. And if you're a bootstrap or mostly a bootstrap founder and you want to be part of a community of more than 2,000 other founders and aspiring founders, go to microconfconnect.com. It's totally free. You can apply there and we'll let you in. It's our Slack group where we hang out and we talk about all the things, jobs and hiring, marketing. We talk about coffee and whiskey and just whatever you can imagine. Whining on the yacht, I think, is one of the, the channels in there. So it, it's a good group of people, really positive and supportive. And you should check it out, microconfconnect.com. Thank you again for joining me this week. And I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.